what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Find the path that works best for you. And there are alternatives to the mainstream going to high school and suffering. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that sheds light on the often untold teenage and young adult stories of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Asha Gabriel, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend and Bridget COO, Kashia Rosenberg. Alexandra Spitz is the founder and CEO of New Mom School, a postnatal education program for new mothers in Newport Beach, California, and soon to be in locations across the U.S. New Mom School exists to provide a new standard of care for mothers and to fundamentally change the way new mothers are cared for. Alex launched New Mom School 11 years ago in 2012 and has served over 5,000 moms and counting. Fueled by a passion for newborns, psychology, and the power of connection, Alex set out to create a resource that didn't exist, but wished it had when she had entered motherhood. An open and vulnerable safe space that focused on a mom-first approach to the fourth trimester. New Mom School is a place where new moms can learn, share, and grow together. From her own experience and from a thirst for knowledge, she curated a program that combines science-backed education and the power of community. It's a place where you'll find real talk, genuine support, and the confidence to glow during the once-in-a-lifetime experience of becoming a mom. I myself had the opportunity to join New Mom School when my daughter Eden was just seven weeks old, and I found the community essential to my postpartum adjustment. I'm still very much connected to my NMS class of mamas and their babies, and I take every opportunity I can to encourage pregnant friends to take advantage of this resource. At Bridget, we're in the business of shedding light and clarity on life's sticky or gray moments by creating conversation and community. And as such, I am just obsessed with what Alex has done for the postpartum experience. So Alexandra Spitz, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited to tell your story and to get back to your teenage years and kind of what has informed all that you've done. So welcome to the podcast. And thank you for having me. So excited. I'm like, where to start? So we like to really focus on the teen years, but take us all the way back to where you were born, um, what your family life was like and what home was like for you. I was born in Los Angeles, California, and I was raised there until I moved to Orange County in 2012. My husband was relocated for work. So I am a native SoCal girl and now living in Dallas, Texas for the last 14 months. My family life, I grew up in Santa Monica. I went to all of our local public schools there. My parents were divorced when I was about six months old. I had an older brother and we did the divorced kids lifestyle in the 80s. And we went back and forth from our dads and our moms. And, you know, that definitely contributed to a little bit more of an unstable home. And 
an experience in growing up with two separate households with two very different approaches to parenting. My dad remarried when I was five and we had step siblings that lived at my dad and stepmom's house that were older than me. I was the youngest of four. And growing up, I really struggled with finding my worth and finding my place within the family system. The blended family for us was challenging and my parents didn't have great communication, didn't really communicate at all. They had their set schedule. And back then there was really, there was no cell phones, obviously. So there was no texting. There was no anything. It was just, you know, this was the schedule. This is when we got dropped off. This is when we got picked up. And there was really no communication or friendship between the parents. And so that just in that sense made kind of an, you know, as kids were, we are magnets for energy. And I'm an empath, just a little bit of back, a background of me. I, I learned this in my adult years. I did not know this as my, as a child, as a child, I was told I was too sensitive. I cried too much. I, you know, worried too much. And so I started believing that there was something wrong with me. And it wasn't until I had already had two children and read a book called The Highly Sensitive Person that I realized that it was actually my superpower and not that there was something wrong with me. But I did grow up into my 30s believing that I was a burden, that I wasn't loved for who I am those two things. I was too sensitive and I cried too much. And I'm 42 now and I'm still very sensitive and I still cry, but I would not say that I'm too sensitive or cry too much. It's the perfect amount for who I am. You know, I can totally, I can totally relate to that. As a child, I had family members, extended family members that would literally just I, I did. I cried a lot too. And they'd be like, oh, Asha's crying again. Mm-hmm. Like, like, cry baby. Cry baby. Yes, which, um, which for a child, like when you're mm-hmm. in that kind of emotional moment, the last thing that's going to help you stop crying is for someone to point out that you're crying and you can't stop. So I, I remember like in my younger years, just kind of thinking like, what is wrong with me? Like why? I, and I physically felt like I was like, I can't stop crying when I'm in these moments. I don't know, you know, why I'm like this. And there was a lot of like self-questioning and doubt. And to my adult years, you know, people kind of laugh about, oh, yeah, Asha was like Mm -hmm. a crybaby. And I'm like, you know what? I was fully emotionally expressed. And I am so grateful for that because people try to tap into that Mm -hmm. really hard through their adult life, you know, and I, you know, I had the gift of just having all my emotions right on my sleeve when I was young, you know, and and it's different for different people. But I can totally Mm -hmm. relate to that because it did, as a child, I wondered why that was kind of tied to my identity. I wanted to get rid of it for a long Mm -hmm. time. Um, So there were definitely like periods of life where, you know, I can imagine like going to college was something where it's like, okay, like this is my Mm -hmm. opportunity to like redefine myself. Like nobody knows that about me. Like Mm -hmm. I literally remember, um, I think it was Mm -hmm. maybe a first or second grade PE teacher we're like, I would, I, I think I cried a couple of times in dodgeball or something. And she was leaving the school to go mm-hmm. to another job. And she came up to me and she was like, don't worry. I told the new teacher all about you and how you cry. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, are you serious right now? Like, you're not even letting me this chance yeah. to grow. But there's those micro traumas, those little micro traumas make, uh, and we never, never forget those 
never. And when you think about it, it was Mm -hmm. like, okay, like this is Mm -hmm. really not, it wasn't a huge deal. But in those moments as a kid, when you're already like trying to figure out who you are, they stick, they stick Mm -hmm. with you. And um, Mm -hmm. I think it takes a lot of work in adulthood to kind of figure out how those things affected you. So, but getting back to your story, I mean, so for your parents to have split up when you were six months old, how early did you mm-hmm. notice that there was something different about your family structure versus those of like kids around you? That's such a great question. You know, in Santa Monica where we grew up, I would say that it was a little bit more progressive than other areas of the country in Southern California, you know, being in Southern California. I feel like there were a good amount of families that were divorced and my mom had a very close-knit group of friends from the time that I was born and some were married, some were single, some were getting divorced around the year. So it was kind of like a normal thing. I remember having friends whose parents were married and thinking to myself, I think they'd be happier if they weren't married. (laughs) You know, like I... I kind of always had sort of a, you know, I still had like a a child brain, but I do remember feeling much more comfortable with adults. So I would get myself in trouble in after school care so that I could go sit in the director's Mm -hmm. office and I could talk to the director as opposed to playing on the playground with the kids. And I just always found myself kind of wanting to have these more intellectual conversations and I felt like I never quite connected or fit in with the kids my age. When I was in third grade, I discovered musical theater. My mom signed me up for Annie. And that was just, it clicked for me. And I was in a group with multi-aged kids. And I really felt like I could be myself. And I lived in musical theater until I was in high school. But what a very defining moment was when I was 12 in sixth grade and I had a group of friends that had I had been friends with for many years, along with some new friends that we had just met in middle school. And they all stopped talking to me at one point. And there was a rumor started that I had called one of the girls a name. And they chose to believe that I had said that. And it wasn't true. But, you know, looking back, I understand the feelings of jealousy and, you know, just that kind of like reptilian brain to survive or be accepted. And I understand that that was this other girl's goal. And because of my sensitivity, it affected me very deeply. And I went into a depression and I was diagnosed at age 12 with depression And I had to leave school for about three months and do some homeschooling and treatment. And my mom at the time didn't want me to go on medication. So I went through different therapies and being at home because school was extremely anxiety provoking for me. And I did end up switching schools for my eighth grade year. Um, because seventh grade was just incredibly difficult. Since that happened, I kind of lost faith in girlfriends and having friends that were girls. And I would jump from friend to friend, kind of 
looking to see if I could trust someone. One of my favorite things to research is attachment. And attachment is I could like talk about it for hours. But essentially what happened was my attachment was broken with trusting friends. And I had had a lot of that from my early years as well, just with my parents being separated and them not having good communication or friendship. And so it was like another confirmation that I can't trust the world and I can't trust people around me and I can't trust that my friends will be there for me. And that was kind of a theme for me through my teenage years into my 20s and until I had my first baby. And the reason that I started New Mom School was because of my experience when I had my first baby and how it restored my faith in sisterhood and the power of it because of the mom group that I joined when my older son was born and he's about to be 13. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because I think that, you know, this is what we're all about. Those those moments in our preteen teen years, you know, can really inform who we become and some of our like most deep-seated issues or strengths, you know, and that time is just so it's so the word isn't fragile, but it's like we're we're like clay during that time, you know, and the things that we mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm can really mold and shape us. And to think of you at 12, you know, experiencing for a 12 year old, your friend group, you know, what's going on at school, like that's your whole world. And to have something so where you feel so powerless, really shift, you know, it'd be really hard to hold on to your identity, yourself, and especially, you know, your confidence. Mm -hmm. So you're mentioning you were diagnosed. And if you are comfortable, I'd love to kind of talk about Mm -hmm maybe some of the treatment that you did go through and what you found to be helpful at that time. Mm-hmm. Because I think especially with the world that our young people are living in now with the internet and everything, the rates of depression, it's one thing we really study here at Bridget in young people. It's just, it's astounding and it's really concerning, you know? So I think there are a yeah. lot of people that can relate to you with feeling depression mm-hmm. at that age. I'm happy to share. I'm an open book because I feel that the more we share, the more we can connect. And connection is really the solution for becoming mm-hmm. healthy. When I left school, I being in LA, it was progressive and people were looking at mental health. And I had services from UCLA and there was a psychiatric department at UCLA. And I I attended the outpatient program for three months. And I would go there each day and there were there was support for the students and the people that were there. I was the youngest that was there at the time, I guess because it wasn't necessarily a children's hospital. I guess it kind of made sense for me because I felt connected to older people. My mom found the notes from the doctor who had admitted me and they labeled my depression a mature depression as if I was an adult experiencing depression. And so that experience, I didn't feel ashamed of it. You know, that's something that's interesting about the teenage brain is that there's things we feel shame for, but that wasn't one of them. I definitely didn't go around parading that that's where I was, 
but it actually was so beneficial for me and I felt so supported and it took the anxiety out of my mornings because going to school, having to face the friends was so anxiety provoking. Speaking of experiences of micro trauma that we remember forever, they had launched this thing at my middle school called mediation. And this was a new term for us in sixth grade. And it was a place where you could go with people that you were having challenges with to talk through them. And I remember when this happened, I went to the office to ask to sign up for mediation. And they issued me a detention for being out of class. Uh Uh-huh. And it was such a blow. It further confirmed that I was alone. I wasn't supported. I wasn't heard. I wasn't seen. And my mom was a big advocate for me. She taught me how to be an advocate for my kids. She was such a role model for never giving up and being the the voice for your children. They don't have a voice. They don't know how to put into words what you're going through, what they're going through. She took it up with the school and she got the detention reversed and you know, got us into mediation. But it was such a missed opportunity to help. I don't know that that much has changed. I think some has changed. I definitely think that there's more support out there for children. But my almost 13-year-old also struggles with anxiety. And we did make the decision to put him on medicine because of his quality of life. And I remember when I was struggling with the idea whether to put him on medicine, my mom said to me, what do you wish that I had done when you were that age and struggling? And I said, if I knew that there was medicine that could have helped me feel better, more confident, less anxious, less sad, I would have wanted to take it. And she said, there's your answer. What an amazing advocate to have through those years. And I loved, you know, when you pointed out that you didn't feel shame about receiving that treatment. I think that that is such an essential part of it probably being effective for you, right? Like shame blocks Mm -hmm. off like everything to follow. So Mm -hmm. it's like the fact that your mom was, it sounds like, able to kind of guide you into these things with zero shame made Mm -hmm. it possible for you to really receive that treatment and benefit from it during that time. You know, thinking Mm -hmm. to like your story of going out and like reaching out to that resource, the mediation resource and having it shut down like that. I'm just thinking Mm -hmm. of you know, my kids are only like one and three, but I'm reading like all the parenting books and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much going on in our world right now, news wise. And Mm -hmm. I constantly think about like, okay, how am I going to talk with my kids, you know, about hard things? And they say like, use real language and speak to your kids. Because if they're coming Mm -hmm. to you with a question, they've probably already really deeply explored it within themselves. Like, the transition to actually bringing it to an adult or asking for something doesn't mean it's the first time it's hitting their brain. And for you to be like, okay, I'm actually going to, like I thought about this mediation thing and I'm going to go and ask for it was a really big Mm -hmm. step. And it's like, it it means you were opening the door to your private world and to have it shut down like that, like Mm -hmm. so frustrating. But at the same time Mm -hmm. to be able to look to your mom is like, no, that's not right. And we're going to go, you know, and to affirm Mm -hmm. what, Mm -hmm. Um, what a gift to be able to have someone like that, an attachment figure, you know, 
in a way during that time mm-hmm. um, to help you navigate. And also, I mean, even now to turn your question back to yourself and say, like, reflect on that time. I mean, most of the inspiration for Bridget is like, all right, I struggled during that time. I, I've talked to so many women, so many of my close friends struggled during their teen years. What would have been helpful, useful during that time? And it's like, well, maybe someone that's not my mom, not my family, not my teachers. I'm not getting graded on it. But like a place where girls can just be real, you know, and vulnerable and not have mm-hmm. any, there's no real consequence to it. If anything, it's all benefit. So I had this dream. I was like, mm-hmm. I wish there was something there. So to be able to have your mom turn back and say like, what would have, what would have helped you then? And for you to seek that out for your kids, I feel like that's, mm-hmm. that's like generational change, you know, pretty, pretty mm-hmm. cool. So you are in this program with UCLA. You you mentioned you also have an older brother. What was your relationship like with him and what was kind of going on for him with your parents' divorce and mm-hmm. everything? Yeah, good question. You know, it's his story to tell, so I I don't feel comfortable sharing. But we didn't have a great relationship growing up. We were each kind of on our own individual paths processing what we were both going through. But mental illness does run in our family, anxiety, depression specifically. So we've all had our our own journeys with it. And we have a great relationship now. His wife and I are very close, like sisters. And I'm so grateful for us both being able to have our own journeys and to be able to connect now on what works for us. And, you know, <laughs> Funny enough, just completely being on our own paths, we both ended up with kind of the same treatment plan that has worked for both of us. And I always thought that that was, you know, very serendipitous, I guess, because, you know, we are the same DNA and we both found that treatment to be the most helpful. It's so interesting. So we had another guest, Sarah Deanna on, and she, um, it was different stuff going on with her immediate family when she was a child, but it was, there was trauma. And she explained to me that like, she looks back at her, her child years and she was like, my siblings and I, we all just kind of like, we processed everything we were going through so separately. Um, And she's like, and I think it's so sad. Like I, I, I think about what it would have been like to have each other during that time. But she's like, but that just wasn't how it was. And she's like, it wasn't till later that we were able to kind of connect about it. Um, But it made me kind of curious about that child brain and how it is like, for whatever reason, you know, the protected way to process that trauma was to maybe shut down and kind of be like, all right, like, like you were saying with your friends, Mm -hmm. um, you know, at school and that experience of them just like cutting you off where it's like, okay, let's, let's close down the fences. Like we are going to like build a little fortress around, you know, all our vulnerability and process things alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're kind of in survival mode. And you're also just very yeah. autonomous, like you're not really aware of others. But because I'm an empath, I could always feel other people's feelings and emotions. And that really shaped how I felt in various situations with different friends with you know, the energy at my dad's house versus my mom's house, the energy in musical theater versus at school. And school never got better. And I, once again, it was my mom that tirelessly looked for alternatives and discovered that 
after my sophomore year in high school, I could take the high school proficiency exam and legally withdraw from high school and start going to community college. So I started going to community college as a junior in high school and I worked and I loved it. I could make my own money. I've been working since I was 15. You know, I wanted a cell phone. I or not was there a cell phone? Right, like maybe, it was, maybe it was a pager still. So it's like I wanted these things that we couldn't afford as a family, but I wanted to work for them. So I, I've always been motivated in that way to really care for yeah. myself. What were you um, when you started community college? What were you kind of focused on studies wise? And where were you working at the time? So for the first time, I got to choose what classes I wanted to take. I always have loved numbers. So I took accounting classes and I loved those. I took marine marine biology class and I loved that. And I kind of just like would look at the schedule and see what was interesting. I'd sign up for the classes that were interesting. I'd go to school in the mornings, but not too early because I had a very hard time getting up early to go to school. And that was another beauty. Like I got to choose my schedule. I got to choose what classes I was taking. I got to choose what time I went. And then I worked every afternoon. And I worked at a place called Fred Siegel in Santa Monica. It was kind of for those that, you know, are not local. It was sort of like, it was, it was kind of like individual stores all under one roof. And I worked in different departments within Fred Siegel. And I worked there for about seven years. And it was such an important part of learning who I was and being an individual and being independent. Did you at the time have a sense of like, or or any pressure to like create a specific career? Were you thinking, you know, five, 10 years down the road or were you sort of just in the moment of what you were doing then? Well, interestingly, both of my parents were employees. Um, Neither of them were entrepreneurs. And so that kind of was just what I saw. There was, there wasn't really any talk about, you know, there's always talk about what do you want to be when you grow up? For me, I always wanted to be a veterinarian. I loved animals, but I ended up, you know, loving retail and sales. And I was good at talking to people. And then after I went to community college, I eventually had enough credits as if I had finished high school and had finished two years of college already. And then I transferred to Cal State Northridge and I got my bachelor's in psychology because I just had always been really interested in psychology. And I remember initially wanting to be a business major and I had to take, I think it was a statistics class. And I remember being in that statistics class and saying, if I have to go through this class, this is not the right major for me. And I dropped the statistics class and changed my major to psychology. And, you know, everything really does happen the way that it's meant to. I feel the universe really gives you what you need when you need it. I've learned as an adult that challenges are really an opportunity to learn as opposed to becoming a victim of them. I did live in victim mentality for a long part of my life and I don't anymore. And it's so liberating once you can get there 
Um, and I just adore your mission because I wish that I had had something like this at that time that could get me to where I am faster and earlier. And at the same time, maybe I wasn't ready for it. And it was something that had to come later. Well, thank you so much for that. I mean, women like you are what fuel and inspire our whole mission. And your vulnerability is really, it's the thing that enables us to do what we do, to share that, you know, women that are so impressive um, and that often get interviewed about like, what's your business? How'd you start it? Like, where are you going? But really, we found, you know, so many of the roots to what women are, are able to blossom into are from these like mm-hmm. awkward, difficult times, you know, from their younger years. You know, when you said you you studied psychology, I had a little smile because I just think it's so interesting that it's like you clearly benefited from from psychologists, from people in that field while you were going through that difficult time when you were younger, right? We worked with a group of teen mothers in a workshop and we uh, did a little poll with them asking like, what are some career paths that are interesting to you? And almost every single mom in this group said neonatal nurse. And we stopped at that data point and I was like, this is so interesting because they've all had a intimate interaction and inspiring interaction with a neonatal nurse because of this hard thing they're going through, you know, as teenagers. And for, from that, they now feel like that's a pathway that's open to them. And I'm kind of just thinking about how, what you went through and how people helped you out of it, you know, and then having that interest and the ability to pursue it later. And it's really, I think that psychology is a huge part of what you do at New Mom School. You know, you're taking a very vulnerable psychologically challenging time in life and opening it up, you know, cracking it open and creating community around it. So I just smiled when I heard that because I think that having more of those intimate, inspiring moments from the sticky stuff is I'm like, let's create as many pathways, connections in that time um, for young people And that's kind of what we're trying to do here. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's so fascinating. So you went to Northridge, you're studying psychology. What came with graduation? What was that like? And also during that time, I know you would kind of like you mentioned into your 30s, you sort of had trust issues with friends Mm -hmm. because of that early trauma. What did like friendships and relationships look like for you at that time too? Such a great question. So in high school, on my first day of my freshman year, I was in a combined ninth and 10th grade biology class. And the teacher said to find a partner to partner up with to do an assignment. And this one girl, Ashley, turned to me and said, you, you're going to be my partner. And she was in 10th grade. And to this day, we are still best friends. So she was a year older than me. And because I had had the trauma from my middle school years, I wasn't really connected to any of the girls in my grade. And so she kind of adopted me and put me into her group of friends. But I had so much anxiety around going to school. I didn't actually go much. I was sick a lot, but sick was emotional sickness. I had a lot of stomach aches. And my mom, you know, she 
understood my anxiety and she would excuse a lot of my absences. And the school district at the time had a student attendance review board. It was called SARB. And if you got SARB, you'd have to go to court and you'd have to explain why you're absent so often. And the second time I got SARBed, they threatened my mom that they were going to arrest her for excusing my absences. The tricky part and what the judge said was, I don't really know what to do with you because you don't go to school, but you have all A's and B's. And it was really a reflection on school at that time because what would happen was I'd go once a week, I'd get all my work, I'd come home. And I would do my work throughout the week. And it was really a lot of questions and answers from a textbook. There wasn't a lot of in-person learning happening. And now that I'm a mom, you know, it's really interesting to kind of look back on that. And public education has changed and not changed at the same time. So my mom said, I have to find, that's when she found that I could take that exam and, and withdraw from school legally. And so my friendships with Ashley and another girl, Sarah, it was kind of the three of us. And there was kind of a group of us. The three of us are still very close. The rest of us have kind of drifted apart. But I remain friends and I would still go to the social events. But school itself, you know, I had to see the girls that had shunned me in middle school and I just was so uncomfortable in my skin. I was very insecure. I'm going to be real vulnerable right now, but I am of Middle Eastern descent and European descent, and I had a lot of body hair, and I was so insecure about it because I was teased for it. You know, I was called a man when I was young, and I had hairy legs and hairy arms and a unibrow and, you know, and I was just so uncomfortable in my skin. I felt unloved. And, you know, and then combined with like what was happening at home and having the two different home lives at my mom's house, I felt accepted and beautiful and all my feelings were valid. And at my dad's house, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I felt judged and teased and, you know, put down by my step siblings and, you know, definitely judged by my stepmom and and my stepmom would also was also very judgmental of my mom and that made me of course very uncomfortable so it wasn't the greatest um you know home life at the time and my friends with those with the girls from school we really had so much fun outside of school like they would always be like come to school come to school we want to hang out with you at school but I just, I was paralyzed. I couldn't do it. My anxiety was too, too bad. And so through high school and college, those were kind of the friends that I remained with. And then I also had friends from musical theater. I spent a ton of time in musical theater, a ton of time in rehearsals. I would travel across Southern California and Northern California to perform. And in college, when I graduated, I went through my next big depression. And then I've had about three other big depression moments since college. And they happen every few years, typically in a transition. But the two girls from high school were really only the 
girls that kind of stayed with me, all my other friends were guys. Interesting. Well, thank you for A, being vulnerable and V, sharing, you know, that depression isn't just something where it's like, I had it, I dealt with it and it's gone, you know, except for some people, maybe. No. Um, I'm not an expert, but, you know, sharing that it is something that that does come up and is sometimes associated with transitions. Transitions are hard. And especially as women, Mm -hmm. we also have like hormonally a lot of different things playing into the transitional Mm -hmm. periods of our lives. Like I feel like a lot of big transitions are also associated with age. Like our bodies are changing, our hormones are changing. So it just really stacks um, things up against us sometimes. And you know yourself that like, okay, this, this comes up and now you kind of have the tools to recognize it. I think is so empowering for you and also for anyone listening that, you know, might be experiencing something similar. Yeah. I mean, so, so going through, you're graduating, you're having a hard time. What kind of worked for you during that time and and what came next for you after school? So that's when I decided to try medicine for my depression and All of a sudden, I could see the world in color, and I finally felt some happiness. I mean, I really, it really, really changed my view of supporting myself and and what I needed. And going back to my early years, your attachment is broken when big life events happen. And one of the things I stress a lot during our classes at New Mom School is how important mom's health is and mom's mental health is because I experienced a mom who was really struggling after having me. You know, she was having trouble in the marriage and and then they did decide to separate and go their separate ways. And that was really hurtful for her. So she was going through a lot, which of course affected me. As I've grown and learned more about what happens in those first few months of life and then the first 12 to 18 months of life, I realized that my brain formed in a way that wasn't optimal and has generational trauma as well and a history of anxiety and depression in my family. I didn't get off scot-free. I also suffer. And I'm a big advocate for medication because there's no reason to suffer through it. There's no reason to be a hero. If our bodies are depleted in some capacity and there's something out there that can help us, why not? Like you only have this one life. So I won't go without medication. I just know that that's what I need to function and get up every day and see the world in color and and have a, a better view of things, have a better outlook of things. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, to to be able to see like, okay, I have this imbalance, you know, and, and a good part of it's probably genetic. I feel like we can look at medication as like a, a crutch sometimes or like maybe if I don't need it, I don't need it. I had thyroid cancer, but before that had thyroid disease for about six years. It started when I was 21, going through that transition of finishing college. I, in the same year, I finished college, 
my grandfather died and I broke up with my all college boyfriend. And I just started experiencing like crazy acne, which I had never dealt with before, like swelling in my lips, all sorts of like crazy symptoms. And I just remember feeling like such a foreigner in my own body. And eventually, you know, my mom and dad helped me kind of go through testing and stuff. And we found that like, you know, I, I was experiencing hypothyroidism through Hashimoto's. And when I got on Synthroid is like a, it's a hormone replacement. Um, but when I got on that on a daily basis, it was life changing for me, like literally just correcting that yeah. imbalance that for whatever reason was triggered by that period of stress and transition. Literally, I, I just remember getting used to this medication and like getting cleared up and I felt I felt completely different. I'm like, these are just it's hormone. And for a little while, I was like, man, I got to take this like forever, every day. Like that makes me different from everybody. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like I feel so, I feel like my best self now. Um, and the questions yeah. that I had have been kind of answered by this, this solution. So I think that being able to embrace medication when it is a, a necessary, you know, component to your lifestyle, I think it's, it's important and it's good to talk about it. Did you continue working at Fred Siegel? When did you, um, so I know you're married now and you know, you obviously started New Mom School in 2012. When did those transitions happen for you? And what did things feel like? Yeah. Starting in college, I had, so I, I transitioned to working part-time for a family that I was babysitting their kids. And then during college, I started working part-time for the dad as his kind of bookkeeper in the office. And then after college, he actually brought me on full-time. And so I graduated a little later. I was 24 when I graduated. By the time I had done all my credits and transferred, I really just, as soon as I got out of high school and released that pressure, I just did my own thing. And it's a huge piece of advice that I like to give teenagers, especially is find the path that works best for you. And there are alternatives to the mainstream going to high school and suffering. I actually had a a call with my coach yesterday and she reminded me pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And so kind of this conversation around medication, suffering is optional. There are things out there that can help you. So I started working with him full time. And when I was 26, I reconnected with my now husband, who I had met when we were 12 at sleepaway camp. And we fell in love. We just kind of realized that we were the missing piece in each other's lives. We got engaged uh, about a year later. We got married about a year later in 2009. And we've been married now 14 and a half years. That is so amazing. And I, <laughs> I love just the, the pureness of that. Like, it's like, well, you know, we just fell in love. Well, interestingly, I met him at 12 when I had just gone through that first depression. Oh, I met him the summer after. And it had been such a tough year emotionally for me. He brought this lightness and happiness and ease. 
And I just remember being so drawn to that. He's just kind of a naturally optimistic person. I just loved being around him. He just had this smile that was infectious. And and then when we reconnected in our 20s, it was just instant. We just, we knew right away that that was it. We were, it was the one. I love it. How soon after getting married and stuff did you, did you start having babies? Um, and I'd love to just dive a little bit into pregnancy and that postpartum experience that ex- mm-hmm. inspired you to start mom school. Absolutely. So we got married in 2009. My older son was born in 2011. Our second son was born in 2014. When my first son was born, we were living in LA at the time and I was pregnant and believed that I was put on this earth to be a mom. I had babysat for all these years. I didn't understand why it had been so hard for my sister-in-law and I was judging McJudgerson. I will say it. You know, it's like, you're the best mom until you have your own kid. (laughs) And it's easy. But then when he was born, my life got turned upside down. And he was actually a very easy baby that they call this angel baby. But I had such an identity crisis. I didn't understand why it was so hard. You know, the sleep deprivation absolutely kills you. There is no way around it. And I realized that there is a vast difference between learning how to care for a baby and transitioning into being a mom. It's a whole identity crisis and shift for the woman. And it's totally separate from just learning how to care for a baby. You can learn how to change a diaper breastfeeding, bottle feeding, all the feeding stuff is challenging, but it's different than what happens at the core of who you are. And that's when it occurred to me that the support is not there for women. There is no standard of care for women in their postpartum period. You go to the OB throughout your entire pregnancy and you're so deeply cared for. And then you have the baby and you're being wheeled out of the hospital and it's kind of like the nurses are like, good luck with that. There's nothing, you know, you take your baby to the pediatrician, but the pediatrician's there for the baby and you feel horrible calling your OB every day. You feel like you should know what to do, that you should have all the answers, but you don't like every single job that we go through, we go through training. We've gone through school our whole lives. We've gone through college to become a specific major. And then you're given this child and there's zero training, zero education. And now we're raising our children without the village, without support. So now you're meant to be doing it on your own without any support or community. It's bonkers. We are so backwards in the U.S. It's maddening. So my mom was the one that said, you need to find a mom group. And I did. And I was so anxious walking in there the first day. I really didn't want to do it because of this trauma that I had had as a teenager. I was so nervous about meeting a group of women because up until that point, when you meet a group of women, it's like they know each other or you know each other and you're bringing in someone new. 
And what I didn't realize about that group was that everyone was strangers. No one knew each other. It was a blank slate. And all we knew was that we were brand new moms and going through the trenches together. And it completely changed my life. It was such an extraordinary experience for me. After that first day of class, I started enjoying being a mom. I felt understood. I felt seen again. I felt welcomed. And this group of women became my best friends. We were together four to five days a week. We were at each other's houses. We were taking walks together. And that experience was so monumental for this point in my life as a new mother, but it also was so healing for the 12 year old in me that was still grieving and still so hurt by these girls that had really knocked me down in my past. I, I love that you said healing because in my mind, I was literally thinking that same thing. I'm like, wow, what a literally like a salve, you know, to these open wounds that had just mm-hmm. been there and to, to be able to receive like, oh, like this is, this is fresh. And everyone's like, everyone's having a hard time. I mean, you're describing that change of care that happens after you have the baby. My little lights are just going off because I I so distinctly remember with my first, I remember feeling like a little queen when I was pregnant. And I was like, uh, especially towards the end, you're going in like every week, you know, and everyone's like, how are you doing? And everyone's so nice to a pregnant woman too. And then I just remember having the baby and they're like, okay, well, you're going to come back in six weeks. And then pretty much like the six-week appointment, they come in and they're like, is anything crazy happening with you? No? Okay, we'll see you every year for your annual. And it's like, what? (laughs) And I had had postpartum hemorrhaging with my firstborn that happened after I brought her home from the hospital. So we had to go back. Once you leave the hospital, you can't go back up to labor and delivery. So I was going through this in the ER with a newborn baby. It was uh, several back and forth. So scary. Ambulance, like a whole thing. So I was also going through kind of postpartum trauma. And I just remember feeling like, what changed? Like that now that this baby is out of me, I'm like, I felt like I was a vessel where like the important thing had been out of me. And then you, I mean, you're also going through crazy hormone drops during that period of time. So any feelings that you're going through are just so elevated too. So I just remember like, I'm like, oh, I don't, I'm not trying to like whine. I should be so grateful. I'm so grateful, you know, that I have this healthy, beautiful baby in front of me. But I just remember feeling just kind of shocked, you know, or it's like, well, okay, everything changed in one sense. Like people say like, oh, you know, you die when you become a mother and you are reborn just like your baby. And I do feel like that is, it is true because so much, you know, is replaced by newness and a lot of that newness is is their feelings that you can't describe like i i think especially mm-hmm. with what's going on in our world when you i've seen some i think it was like a little quote somewhere but it was like you, know, you become a mom you become like an every mom like you relate to other moms in such a deeper way you see children you see the world differently like the mother in you is just like mm-hmm. a new being but it's not uh, not always smooth and not without some sacrifice and and grieving an uh, old identity that does change, you know? Exactly. So I just like so connect to your, you know, your realization of the problem that really was begging for some sort of solution. And I can tell you, I so remember that first day at New Mom School and coming in and part of like the first day was, I think there were about 10 
women and their babies and you bring your baby to class. Um, and for me, that was my first time out of the house with my baby. Like we were, especially with what had happened with the bleeding and everything, we were like home. We were not leaving the house. Um, so Mm-mm. even, and I was going alone, like this was just me and my baby and everywhere else. As my husband was, you know, I was like, okay, you get this, you get this. And we're all in the, the car together mm-hmm. to go to the doctor and stuff. So to take the baby in and, you know, immediately was just told like, if you need to breastfeed, you can breastfeed in here. If you're comfortable, you can go outside, you can do whatever you feel comfortable. Breastfeeding is available. If your baby's crying, that's normal. These babies cry. Like if there's balls in here, you can bounce on. You can, if you need help, let us know. It was so comforting. And I remember we went around the room and everybody kind of told their birth story. And that was so important for me because I remember as I was going through, like going back to the emergency room, I was separated from my baby for periods of time. I felt so much guilt about that experience. And I remember feeling like, what is, what effect is this going to have on my baby and all this stuff? I'm like, I didn't do this right. Like, why is my body not working? And, you know, the women went around and almost every single mom had something that was uh, not normal, right? About their pregnancy or their delivery or you know, ended in a C-section or whatever, like everybody had something that made them super vulnerable at that time. And to hear everyone go around and share, and we're all just struggling. Like I remember trying to breastfeed in that class and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. But I was looking around and like, everybody has something. And like, what a special little sacred space for us to have that comfort. And I'm still like very close friends with many of the moms in that, in that group. And I think it's because we connected over that, that time. So I just like to paint the picture of what that moment was like because this was enabled by Alex and her recognition of this need and and working tirelessly to create new mom school. So thank you, Alex, for that because it really, you know, took a a very vulnerable time and made it a very special time for me and many other moms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, when I I shared that I when I was pregnant, I felt like I was put on this earth to be a mom, but now that I've created this, I've realized that I was actually put on earth to struggle as a mom so that I could help others not struggle and have a better postpartum experience. I love that. One of my favorite things that came from being part of New Mom School was just even being, you know, connected with the other moms. And we had our own little like text thread outside of our classes. And that was like a space where, you know, at 3.50 in the morning when someone's up feeding, it's like, Hey, has anyone like, yeah. does anyone know what a milk protein allergy is? Or does anyone like, are you guys using <laughs> pacifiers? Which one works for you? Whatever it is. Like, oh, th- uh, is the poop supposed to be this yellow? This is like those questions. <laughs> yeah. Like where you're in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah. or you're just struggling with something. And then just to have these, like, everyone's like sharing what's working for them and stuff was so cool. And I was like, you know, this is part of new mom school, but really like we're, we're maintaining it ourselves. And you know, in Bridget, I feel like we've had some fun experiences like that, where we've had girls at a workshop um, and then we find out that they've kept in touch afterwards. And I'm like, this is so cool. Um, And probably actually the best part of what we're doing, because these girls probably wouldn't have found each other in another setting, you know, because they're from different places and different schools, you know, and now they're friends because they're Bridget girls. And I was like, that is, that's the whole point right here Um, is like, we're creating this platform to have those connections exist beyond us. You know, at the end of the day, for generations, we have had community and we don't anymore. I don't know what happened in the U.S., but it, maybe it's because it's a melting pot and because 
it's really such a cultural thing to have community, but we don't have it here. And that I think contributes greatly to our mental health crisis is that we don't have support and community. And so I want to do my part. You're doing your part. And a lot of times these things have to happen on in a private setting in order to make global change. And so my vision is to reduce the rates of postpartum depression across the U.S. and connect women with other women who are going through the same thing, which also inadvertently help marriages thrive and be strong. Because before we have our community as new moms, we're relying on our partners to fulfill every need. And they're going through the same thing we're going through, if not worse. But, you know, typically, I mean, even women are told to repress their emotions. Men are told to repress their emotions even more. So they're not saying to us, like, I'm really anxious right now, but really that's what's happening. They're extremely anxious. They're withdrawing. They're going to work more. They're doing the things that make them feel comfortable. And we feel quote unquote stuck at home with the baby because our life really changes. Their life doesn't change as much. So it creates this resentment and tension between the relationship. Once women can join a community, they now have the support from the community emotionally, where they're actually not relying on their partners anymore to provide that support. So partners have said for years, we love new mom school because we're off the hook. My wife is going to go and get the answers that she needs. I don't have to provide them because I don't know them. I know less than she does. And I think that for a lot of men, even a, a man that is fully committed and trying to be present, I think during that, especially the newborn period when it's like baby needs mama physically, you know, and like there's still that bond, like they're, they, they're getting used to being right outside the womb. It is a mother heavy moment of parenting. Um, I think a lot of men can feel a little bit helpless, which only contributes to that level of anxiety, um, you know, yes. wanting to help and physically feeling like I'm not as essential. You know, it's a hard thing for a man to have to yeah. process. So I I remember right. like going to new mom school and Andrew didn't really know what it was at first, but then, you know, I'd be coming up with like things or I'm like, oh, this product, like my new mom school friends were, are using this and this. And like, then I was sort of educating us. And that was, it was cool. I could, I could immediately see like, he knew the benefit of this to me. You know, we'd, we'd have run into things where it's like, oh, like, do any of your new mom school friends like do this thing? And, and he knew that that's like, that was this special resource that I had in my community. And um, it was, yeah, a benefit to both of us for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. feel like, I mean, I could sting new mom school's praises for days, your praises for days. I'm, I've had just the best time learning about you know, where this all came from and the person you are. And I'm so honored that you've, you know, been so open and vulnerable with me, but I know that we need to respect your time. Um, so I'd love to do like, we do like kind of a fast five questions and a, and a closer. So if you're ready for that, we'll go for number one. Do you have a morning routine? Oh, such a good question. Um, I do because I have children. So I get up, I get my younger one ready and off to school. I then come home, get my older one ready off to school. And then I come home and I get myself ready for the day. 
That's a lot of back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I run a marathon by the time I get to take my shower. Oh man, I know that the forced morning routine, right? I I like think about the days yeah. when I'm like, oh, before before babies were getting married, where it's like, oh, you know, then I foam roll for a little while and I use my gua sha, you know, <laughs> and I make my coffee and I start my meditation, and now I'm like, I'm like, oh, you know, like I get up five minutes before my kid, I try to get like coffee just down into my system before I need to go and like warm the bottle yeah. and do this thing, <laughs> and it's like, well, it's a, it's a yes. routine. Um, but it's a little, yeah, yeah. Glad I'm not the only one. Um, I could probably benefit from having a better morning routine, like putting in a meditation and journaling. I do that typically later. I feel like a lot of moms, it's like this time after you put your kids down to bed. I get it. I've talked to a lot of moms that are like, oh, that's my sacred time. You know, <laughs> like I could do it. It's yeah. not always like productive. I'm not meditating or working out and journaling and stuff. But like sometimes it's just like watching some mindless TV or staring at a wall <laughs> or like oh, yeah. texting all my friends back that I haven't really been able to talk to. Yeah. But it's like you find the time, you know, where you can and it doesn't always have to look. And it's a you have to remember it's a moment in time. You know, they're not always going to yes. be this little and we are going to have many years that we get to that we're going to want to have all those things and the kids are going to be off. And so I don't get down on myself for it. I am who I am. And, you know, I, I do the best that I can. We all are just doing our best. There's so much time for gua sha later. There's so much time. (laughs) All right. Number two, if you could pick like a favorite baby age or stage, what would it be? Two. I love that's controversial. I feel like. Mm -hmm. But a lot of personality. So if you can understand how your two-year-old's brain is working and learn how to redirect them instead of control them, it is the best age. I love it. I recommend positive discipline. The whole do you have a do you have a favorite book on that or podcast or resource? So the creator of positive discipline. Jane Nelson, any of her books are fantastic. That's the curriculum that I recommend for that toddler age. Thank you. Okay, number three, what is your favorite part of running your business? Helping people. Just being able to give people a better experience than I had and knowing that I'm elevating that for other new moms because we deserve it. For number four, what on that is the most challenging or difficult part of of being an entrepreneur? It's lonely. It's lonely being alone and making all the decisions, ultimately making all the decisions. I have an incredible team that's supportive, but when you're a sole owner, it is really up to you at the end of the day. So it's lonely. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I can imagine as, as your community is growing, like the sense of responsibility in that loneliness is kind of hard too. Cause it's like people, I think when people start realizing a benefit from a community, they're also a little bit more demanding of it. Yeah. Um, which is a, a privilege, but can be a lot to manage on your own. Number five, I've been very excited to talk about this. What is next for new mom school and how can people get involved in new ways? Such a good question. So I have dreamed of being able to take this to different places. And I've looked at different ways to do that over the years. I am very committed to being a mom and a present mom and picking up my kids from school and being at all of their sports activities. 
So I know personally, I don't have the bandwidth to open other locations myself. And I decided to start a franchise and we just launched it about two weeks ago. We have an incredible amount of interest from places all over the U.S., which was just so heartwarming to see. A lot of them are moms who took our program and then have moved to other places. Some people never took our program and have just been following our journey and hoping that they can add this to you know, their community as well. We've had doctors that are interested in adding this to their practices. So really a wide gamut of people interested. And I just cannot wait to support more new moms, but also support women becoming entrepreneurs and owning their own businesses and having flexibility so that, you know, they don't have to work a 40-hour work week and they can be with their babies and their kids. And I can't put into words how grateful I am. And I really pinch myself that this is kind of how the cards were laid out for me because I I didn't always think that I deserved it. And I didn't always think that I would ever get to a place where I could have the, the time freedom that I wanted. I love that. Well, you deserve every bit of it. And I'm so excited because I know there are moms, maybe even non-moms out there that, you know, have been hungry for an opportunity to start something, to create a community. But it is, it's incredibly difficult to lay the initial groundwork um, Mm -hmm. for something like what both of us have had. And it it requires a lot of time and legwork and mistakes, you know, to figure out what does work. So to be able to have the tools um, Mm -hmm. to really hit the ground running anywhere in the U.S. is so incredibly exciting um, for those future entrepreneurs in this space out there. So um, for someone who is either interested in starting, um, you know, a local do a chap not a chapter it's a, a local business local really school. Mm-hmm. school exactly a local new mom school um or for someone who does live in um in newport or in miami is where orange county mm-hmm. yeah um right oh, yeah. now that wants to join who's pregnant and wants to join where can they find you our website is newmomschool.com. It's singular, newmomschool.com. We're also on social media, New Mom School. You can find us everywhere. I love it. And another great part of like being in the community is, um, you know, once you're in, there's also like a Facebook group mm-hmm. that you can join that I continue to reap benefits from and learn from on a daily basis. So the beautiful thing about that group is that it's available 24 seven. So even if you don't have your group text, like you said, at 350 in the morning, there is always someone on and available in the Facebook community. Mm hmm. Okay, well, we always end our interviews um, with the same question. What is one attribute, quality thing about you when you were a young person, teenager, that maybe you didn't see the benefit of back then that you're so grateful about now? Easy. My sensitivity. I love it. It's my superpower. Yes, it is. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the fact that you've been able to take that thing that maybe made you a little different 
you know, at that age and you've really just leaned into it, um, you know, you've not only expanded your own life, but really cracked open new worlds for for a whole community of women. So thank you, Alexandra Spitz of New Mom School for being here with us today um, at Meet Bridget. And I can't wait to see what's next for you and to keep in touch with you as part of our community. Thank you and likewise. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?